0: Of November 6, 2019, new comic books are out because it's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Good news, people. Batman is not the lowest rated comic book on our podcast this week. (laughs) Even better news, we have answers to what happened to Sam Guthrie, Cannonball, from The New Mutants. And also, we have your responses to, is Lois Lane a narcissist who cares about no one but herself and her career? Some interesting responses at that. We compare and contrast Brian Michael Bendis's different DC books for the week. Another issue of Immortal Hulk is out this week. Is it a bust or is it the fulfillment of your every comic book fantasy ever? So sit back, strap in, relax. I'm Stan Daniel and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> you collect Hallmark ornaments? <laughs> No, I do not. I'm not. I'm not over the age of fifty. Oh, screw you, man! <laughs> I don't really collect them, but every year Denise and I go and and we'll pick out two ornaments to put well, on. They, the well,
1: they put out some pretty
0: cool ones. I
1: I, <laughs> I I will admit that they put out some pretty cool ones.
0: Well, they did up until this year. I mean, uh, they they always do Star Trek, and I never understood. You know the scene with Batman and his Batarang. I yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we were pushing it. Iron Man on a Christmas tree. The Disney characters that they do, they they used to always be Christmas related. You know, they'd have on a Santa suit or they'd be doing something Christmas oriented, and it now just seems like that's out the window because we went to Hallmark this weekend, and in the Christmas ornaments section, there's this little figure of Negan from Walking Dead. <laughs> With Lucille, the baseball bat with the barbed
1: wire wrapped around it. See, this is what happens when you take the Christ out of
0: Christmas. (laughs) I, honest to God, you know those, you, you know, the pranksters in society that go around putting things out there that aren't actual products, but they've got the label on them, obvious plant. Yeah. I, honest to God, thought that's what it was. I looked at the figure on the board and then I looked around and no lo and behold there were like five or six Hallmark sealed boxes of Negan Christmas ornaments with that bat. Now, the only thing missing from the design of that ornament was there was no blood on Lucille on the bat. From the first time we ever saw that bat, it had blood on it. Yeah. I I could not believe it. But I mean I hey. guess I guess somebody watches that show somewhere. Well, it wasn't, he looked more like the comic book character. Yeah. I mean, it could have been Jeffrey Dean Anderson, but he was generic enough that he looked more like the comic book character. And he was hanging there under this year's iteration of the Enterprise. I think the whole reason that, that Paramount and CBS has to create new Star Trek series is so they can come up with different iterations of the Enterprise for Hallmark to sell each year. Man, I just couldn't believe it. Negan on the Christmas tree. Who puts Negan on the Christmas tree? I don't. (laughs) What do you put on your Christmas tree? (laughs) uh, Joan Collins from that Star Trek
1: episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's the way she looks
0: right before she gets killed. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a Hallmark figure? (laughs) It could be. Jeez. I don't know. I, I think that's the surest sign of societal downfall is Hallmark issuing official Christmas ornament of the Psycho Killer Negan from The Walking Dead series to hang on your Christmas tree. But the Disney selection was crap this year, too. I mean, the cutest thing they had was Chip and Dale hanging stockings or something. At one point in time, you're going to run out of ideas or something. Well, you really can't. You just vary up the colors, vary up this, vary up that. That's... You know, they also had a Scooby-Doo haunted house hanging there, which I, I don't necessarily think justifies Christmas. You know, Scooby-Doo and a Santa Claus hat, that's fine. I mean, They didn't even have a Santa Claus hat on, Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would have accepted that more or less if they had put a Santa Claus hat on. him. <laughs> well, so long as we're talking about off-color comic book characters, last week... We got in a back and forth. We had a letter from One T concerning the Watchmen TV series and whether or not we thought Rorschach or we thought that Dave Gibbons thought Rorschach should be a little bit racist. We translated that as Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons and we went into that. Uh, I went back and reread Watchmen again. Completely through, and there is a part in it that I skip. That I have skipped every time since the first, second, or third time that I read it, and it's because it's just something I do when I see something so utterly dehumanizing of something. I'll I'll just kind of blank it out or skip over it, and knowing that it was in there, I'd skip over it each time. And I went back and read it. You are exactly right. The new frontiersman that they print inside the comic book Watchmen is is a highly racist magazine right down to the cartoon. Yeah. Now, I always reread Rorschach's psychological evaluation. I always reread the Dr. Manhattan stuff and the pirate comic and everything. But as soon as I saw it, just a whole flood of memories came back to me. And like, no, you skip this. You skip this every time you read this book. And it's just because it's so negative and everything. But yes, the New Frontiersman is highly racist, anti-Semitic. Rorschach himself, do you think that the fact that Warshak buys that magazine automatically makes him a racist,
1: Albert? I don't think it could make him a racist because I think, you have. it
0: speaks to the fact that he's racist.
1: Yeah, it, it could be part of it. Got to understand Warshak is psychologically damaged. So,
0: yeah, no, that that's very clear. And there's no doubt that he's misogynistic and homophobic. Clearly. Yeah. No, that's not an argument at no time. Other than that, he seems to hate everybody else equally.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, he's probably, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's racist because him being homophobic is how he, yeah, you know, processes. it was the, when he was talking about Adrian Vate toward, I think, the front of the book, first yeah. couple of F- issues. There's nothing blatant out front like that, but yeah,
0: Warshak's probably racist okay yeah i'll I'll con- I'll concede that point I just recalled that he was misogynistic and I knew he was homophobic. I just didn't think he you know, that racism played into it uh but the new frontiersman definitely definitely was oh dear Lord, we're going to talk at length about this and episode three of the Watchmen on media mess episode two, which We're going to do probably Friday night, and I'll try to have it out by no later than Monday. So join myself, Albert, and this time around, it is Miss Sandra Swindle that will be joining us for Media Mess Part 2, talking, dealing about a whole slew of things that's come down the pike. Uh, We got a few listener emails. We'll go over those. Right off the top, Chris S. writes in again, answers a question I had about where was Sam Guthrie because we're talking about the New Mutants this week. And Chris is absolutely right. When I read his email, I remembered it. Yeah, that's exactly where he was. Sam Guthrie is in the Shi'ar Empire, where he's married Smasher of the Imperial Guard and has a family. There we go. There's the answer to where is Cannonball? And why is he not in The New Mutants? And this issue number one of The New Mutants goes into more detail than that about Sam Guthrie. Then Chris also goes on to say that Lois Lane is always trying to get another Pulitzer Prize. I don't know anything about her time in space with Jor-El and John. It seemed that she had concerns about her boy, though. Now, that's in response to me saying, I didn't realize this before, but Lois Lane is a narcissist that cares only for her career. So Chris is saying that he sees that she cares for her son, and I can understand that. You can have a relationship with your mother if she's a narcissist, right, Albert? <laughs> Not that you would know. I'm just asking. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I the mother and her children thing. Yeah, okay, I can see that. So we'll count that as a half point toward Lois. Chris goes on to say, that being said, I hate... That Jor-El returned to the past before we got a version of World's Finest with Flashpoint Batman, with Flashpoint Thomas Wayne. Then he was curious about Bendis' plans on outing Superman as Clark and how that will impact Lois' career. Her journalistic integrity should be called out as how impartial she was. Yeah, he's got a good point there. Do you think Bendis is taking that? Surely to God, Bendis is taking that into consideration. That yeah, would be an he, interesting angle on it. Yeah, he probably would. I mean, he,
1: I don't see why he we wouldn't.
0: Now, we were kind of blase when we first announced that, you know, Superman's going to be outed as Clark Kent to the public because, oh, again, here we go. But Chris does bring up an interesting point about the uh, Lois's career. I would be interested in seeing that play out. I think that yeah. would be a very interesting aspect to this. Then we've got an email from Jacob. I have always thought Superman would be better off without Lois. Never understood why, with all the comic character deaths, they haven't killed off Lois. It would be more interesting interesting to see Superman play the field. <laughs> well, that's the Spider-Man argument, isn't it, for getting rid of the Spidey uh, Peter Parker Mary Jane marriage? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just sort of like him and Lois together. Well, I mean, it always seems so predestined from the moment he first showed up to the first TV series with George Reeves to the comic, but the whole, the whole Lois Lane comic book, 90% of that comic book run in the, when was it the fifties, the sixties? fifties, yeah. yeah. In the fifties was about her trying to entrap Superman's affections, if not entrap him into a marriage And like every once every so
1: often, they'll pull that Wonder Woman relationship. And I never the Superman Wonder Woman relationship doesn't work as long as Lois is alive. No, you're exactly right. That that relationship works in something like Kingdom Come, where Lois is dead, or even Dark Knight Strikes Again, where Lois is not. Lois is dead or not there. It's it's after that relationship is after Lois, not while Lois is alive
0: and Clark is a person that walks among people. Do you remember Action Comics when John Byrne took it over? Yeah. And that situation between Superman and Wonder Woman, and he just grabs her and kisses her, and that's like the end of one comic, and then at the beginning of the next, you're thinking, Superman has kissed Wonder Woman, but at the beginning of the next issue, it closes in on her face as he's kissing her, and her eyes are wide open. Like, what in the hell is happening? Yeah. I always like that take on it. Always like that. Superman's with Lois because Wonder Woman really didn't want any of this. I don't like the idea that Wonder Woman is patiently waiting for Lois to die.
1: That's not what you no, said. No, no. My view is that Super- Lois did not marry Superman. Lois married Clark.
0: I don't buy that. And I
1: wo- and Wonder Woman does not view. She may call him Clark, but but he's not Clark. He's Kal El, Superman. That that's who. Yeah. That's who it is. The
0: Wonder Woman. I just prefer the idea that Wonder Woman's really not interested in Superman. I am more intrigued by Wonder Woman being interested in Aquaman than I am Superman. Remember when Grant Morrison was writing that up? Yeah. They're both royalty. They both have concerns. That that kind of a thing. Now, along the lines, Jen wrote in and said, Ever noticed that Lois is so very nondescript that you have to have Perry, Clark, Superman. Okay, I see. Uh, that was worded odd. Or Jimmy, or a press pass pinned to her for you to even know who she is. Outside of the context of the Superman cast, she is unremarkable. I agree with Stan, they should kill her off. No, no, no. Stan never said kill Lois Lane. At no time does Stan want Lois Lane dead. There are enough comic book characters that die and then come back. We don't need Lois Lane. I, I didn't even necessarily say that. I said that, what did I say? <laughs> I said wow. that... I said that reading her in that alternate reality book, when Doomsday kills Superman, she loses it. That's the most emotional I've ever seen her. And by proxy, the standard continuity, Lois Lane looks kind of narcissistic and more out for herself than anything else. So I, I do not want Lois Lane killed off. I don't want Jimmy Olsen killed off. I don't want Perry White killed off. I'm for telling these stories without necessarily having a superhero or a cast member die every other week, just to be brought back in a year to five years. That's that's old. And I'm done with that kind of thing. Alicia writes in, and this is with a S H I A Alicia. What is Albert's problem with Ray and Rose? Now I'm just going to sit back here and let you go with it. Albert. (laughs) They suck. No, Albert, you can't say that. Yeah, I can You have to give an answer. What's the actual problem with Ray and Rose? Because I hate women. That's why. (laughs) I don't. I I love Ray, and I I love women. I really like Rose. I mean, Rose seems like somebody you'd like to know in high school. And I know she she serves no purpose. She's part of the rebellion. No, it does. A whole lot of people are part
1: of rebellion. And I bet they do more than she does,
0: but Ray, I mean, I look the moment the moment that John Williams' theme kicked up and she goes in and and trades for her day's uh, allowance of food and goes back to her downed at at I, there's a lot there to just kind of really become enamored with with
1: Ray. I don't know. she doesn't have any type of personality well she does she's funny, she's clever, well,
0: she's quick. She's not funny to me. You don't find her the a little bit. Anything you can add to this so we don't have a follow-up email and have to talk about this again? <laughs>
1: not re- well, her, her biggest problem is that she's, she's not Luke Skywalker. In, in more ways than just actually not being Luke Skywalker, she's, she's not a good hero character at all.
0: Okay. She, didn't, Luke...
1: she, didn't, she, had, she hasn't had to work for anything. Well, neither did Luke. Yes, he did. When did he work? He had to train. She trained with Luke. No, she didn't. She she could do she could do freaking Jedi mind trick crap just willy-nilly like nothing. She was picking up
0: on it. How, how do you just pick up on it? Well, let's threaten Nobody, your life. You, you just can't pick up on it. Let's let, threaten your... If, if you're Force-sensitive, if you've got Force abilities, let's threaten your life, strap you down to a torture chair, and see if you don't try. Any. The, Force, the Force never worked like that in any of the previous movies. It did with Luke. He could no, hear Obi-Wan. He blew up the no, Death I Star. Don't, that, that's different. How is that different? He didn't train with Yoda before he blew up the Death Star.
1: No, but he, he. No, but that's not him using the Force, like doing Force trick stuff with it. That's him using the Force as far as instincts go. Because even in the prequels, Anakin could do the pod racing stuff as a kid.
0: Yeah, but he also so, like, was able to... That's, more like instinct and awareness and everything like that. That's not... You don't think all her years of scavenging, as difficult as we saw it, as it was for her to scavenge in the Star Destroyers and everything, those great heights, those things, that agility, that she wasn't subconsciously fine-tuning her use of the Force without her knowing it like Luke was? No, I don't. I fully believe she was, and I think that was the whole point of the opening of Episode Seven. But... But, Albert, we've got comics and other things to talk about, so we will pick this up again in Media Mess Episode 2. Gotcha. And, and so, Alicia, hang on, and we'll come back to this. We'll have a roundtable, a better roundtable discussion on that. Also, Alex and Bryant... And a couple of other people, we did get your emails, we did get your notices, and we're saving those for Media Mess. The questions you were asking specifically about Watchmen and some other things that would be more appropriate for our Media Mess. So we'll use your emails and questions on Media Mess episode two. Now, any big comic news this week other than did they cast the penguin? I mean, that's comic related, and I know we'll talk. Yeah, but all that's Media
1: Mess stuff, I guess.
0: Well, yeah, but we should go ahead and say it, since this broadcast is going to go forward. No, is... they
1: is Colin Farrell cast, or is he in negotiations?
0: Colin Farrell. I, I heard that they were close to it. Okay, because Matthew McConaughey is Two-Face. Or, or Harvey Dent. He's Harvey Dent. Matthew McConaughey is Two-Face. When did you hear that? I didn't hear that. I heard about the Colin Farrell thing.
1: I don't know. All over the, all over the internet.
0: Okay, well, I somehow or rather, I missed that. Uh, I also heard that Andy Serkis is in talks to play Alfred. Yeah. I actually think that would be a nice twist, don't you? Yeah, Alfred needs to be a, like a good actor, needs to do Alfred,
1: so he's Well,
0: good. that's, yeah, Andy Serkis is beyond a good actor. He'll bring something different. Andy Serkis, even a refined Andy Serkis in a tuxedo, still looks ready to rumble. Yeah. I think that would be a very. I'm I'm getting excited about the casting of Andy Serkis and Alfred, and I'm okay with Colin Farrell. Has uh, it is the penguin, right? If they go yes. ahead with that, I think I think for him it's penguin, and, and I didn't know about McConaughey as Two Face. All
1: right. All well, right, Harvey right. Dent. We don't. We don't know. Harvey if it's Dent.
0: Two-face. Okay. Well, has Harvey Dent. So they can set up something else later on. Yeah, I like that. I this is this is looking up. How are you feeling about it? I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I'm I'm excited. I'm psyched about Twilight Batman. Okay. <laughs> Not much other than news than a Mandalorian trailer and a few other little tidbits that we can handle on media mess. Let's move on and let's do a few comic book one-liners, shall we? Something we can sum up. Just. Sure. In one-liner uh, less to get started with. Under my one-liner list, I have Young Justice. Oh, with... I didn't read that. Okay. Well, I'll just do this real quick. Young Justice with Bendis' writer. Gleason has The Artist. This brings to semi-conclusion they're trampling through alternate realities to get home. Apparently, they end up home as the first person they see is Naomi, even though they don't recognize her. I thought... We really should have done this at the end, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I thought this was better than Legion of Superheroes, but not as good as New Mutants. I gave the writing a three, the art a four. I really like Gleason's art. The dynamic a two, the overall score, I gave a three on that. And you didn't get to it, right? No, I didn't get to that. Did you get to the magicians? Oh, I told you not to. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you said skip that.
0: Yeah, I said skip that. And here's why I said skip that. The Magician's Number One by Arkea Comics. Lila Sturgis, writer, and Pius Bach on the art. This comic book, this first issue, is so close to Harry Potter that I am surprised that Warner Brothers has not already filed suit. It's a ripoff of Hogwarts with cussing. I gave the overall score a 1.5. The art justified the 0. 0.5. The art was the only thing I gave a 2 to. Kiss Zombies. I gave a score. If I refuse to read this, and I'm pretty sure Albert will too. Was I correct on your score on Kiss Zombies? You were correct. Okay. <laughs> did you read Spidey Venom Double Trouble? I did not read Spidey and
1: Venom. Okay, Th- I will do a quick. Uh, I give uh, I give writing a four, the art a three, and dynamic a three. It's uh, I guess it's a a goofy kids book. The roommates or something, and. <laughs> I don't know where it came from but
0: it's a pretty good book for what it is. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Okay. All right, solid. You also read Amazing Spider-Man and I didn't get to that one. Yeah, I read Amazing and since we review it so much, give us a line on it. Three's across the board. It seems like they're waiting to
1: wasting time till Absolute Carnage finishes up before they can I guess move on with the story.
0: There doesn't seem to be much going on. There's a couple of books that feel like they're waiting on uh, Absolute Carnage to finish. Yeah. Yeah, kind of in a holding pattern. So threes across the board, they're in a holding pattern, but it's a solid holding pattern. I read Dr. Afra, number 38, Spurrier's writing Winnegard's art on it. Still Afra. she's still an engaging character. The story, not so much. This needs better art, and this storyline should be more dynamic. Writing a three, art a two, dynamic a three, score 2.5 on Star Wars Dr. Afra. They really need not just with Vader, but with Lex and with Doom and with top-notch villains, they really need to think through what they're doing before they insert them into a storyline because you're naturally going to want to expect more from it. Yeah. All right. Ready for some full reviews? You pick one. Go ahead. Hit hit one up. I don't know. How about Legion
1: of Superheroes?
0: Let's go with it. What was your... you, you, um. you were We were both waiting on it. We were both feeling... I was optimistic about it because I like the... Two issues of Millennial with Rose and Thorn, and you were not pessimistic, but you were kind of middle of the road. Wait and see. Yeah, it's okay. It's it's nothing, nothing big yet or
1: anything. But it's, it's it's an all right start. I mean, at least the Legion of Superheroes are in it.
0: Yeah, God knows he put the Legion of Superheroes in it. Given the new hairstyle for Saturn Girl, I I think that I will officially be referring to her as Saturn Karen from henceforth. <laughs> It's a terrible joke. <laughs> That's the first thing I saw when I saw that hairstyle. I thought, oh, look, it's Saturn Karen. <laughs> what was the plot of this comic? I don't remember the plot of this comic. I thought it was in the future, no one can complete a sentence nor a thought. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> what was your score overall on it? Oh, well, I gave the writing a three, the art a four, and dynamic a three. You're much more generous than I was. I, Like I said, no one in this book seems to have a complete sentence. In the entire thing. I know there's got to be one or two in there somewhere. Uh, the first few pages with Mordru was such a bland and off coloration that I was disappointed with that. Something from the future, the 31st century, that should pop. Now, when we went from Mordru to the Legion of Superheroes, the art did pop off the page, but it didn't matter much. I don't understand why the bland coloration and finishing on those first few pages was like it was, it, it was kind of disjointed to me. Yeah. And the writing was a little disjointed. I, I, I don't remember the plot. It's something like
1: they got to get Aquaman's Trident so they can try to bring water back to Earth or something.
0: Yeah. Is that the plot? Well, it's Aquaman's Trident, and I don't think they know what they're going to do with it. Somebody suggested bringing water back. Yeah. Uh, that was the whole thing. You know, you said at least the Legion of Superheroes was in it. At giving Bendis an unlimited number of superpowered teenagers to write disjointed dialogue for, that might not be a good idea. Maybe not. Because it got real scattered real quick in those group scenes. Yeah. And they've all got signs on their backs telling us who they are. I'm, I'm mixed emotions on that. It, it, it's practical. It seems pragmatic for a group like Legion of Superheroes. And at the same time, Time it seems maybe a little hackneyed. I don't know. I was looking forward to this. I was disappointed. If you want to see what this should be, read New Mutants number one. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, New Mutants is very good. Well, we'll get to that one overall in a minute, but I just want to throw that out there. Look, everything Legion of Superheroes doesn't deliver on New Mutants seems to. I gave the writing a two, uh Art a three, and the dynamic a three, score two point five on that. And then let's just go on to New Mutants. Yeah. Okay. What was your take on it? Uh, it's very good comic. Hickman and Brisson were, is, a write, is the writing team on it, and Rays does the art. Didn't mm-hmm. didn't the artwork remind you of Sinkovich? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's it's that way on purpose.
1: It's, you can it's like yeah. I mean, you can tell it's digi- all digital art, but it's like yeah, but they really
0: he laid it on thick with some stuff. It wasn't full blast Sinkovich. It was it was giving you a callback, a visual callback. And I thought that was nice. I thought that was very warm. Uh the characters all sound like they did back in the day. And it feels like they're just they're there, they're a family. I just love it, love it, love it. The plot line is that the new mutants, they're all living together on Krakoa in the same habitat. Kind of uh except we haven't got the dynamic of that, so we don't know whose bedrooms connect. It's kind of like, you know, seems like it may be kind of like Gene Scott and Wolvie, but not sure. Sunspot misses Sam, convinces the New Mutants, let's go get Sam. And uh, Corsair and the... Starjammers? Yes, Corsair and the Starjammers take them into the Shi'ar Empire's zone and drop them off so they can find their way to get Cannonball. I just loved it. I gave the Riding a 5, the Art a 4, and the Dynamic a 5, a 4.5 on New Mutants for me. Yeah, we average out the same. I would swap the Riding with the Art. On on score. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Hey, let me ask you this. Regarding New Mutants and X-Force and the other books that Hickman, well, Hickman's writing, co-writing New Mutants with Brisson, but like on X-Force and the books that he's not writing, do you think he's writing the info pages that appear inside of them? He
1: could be. He I assume he's got like a breakdown of what he's doing with his books that they're aware of
0: so they can line up with his stuff. I mean, I'm positive that he's got that. I was just wondering, is he personally, at the very least, I'm sure he's giving these info pages approval. Yeah, but I kinda, have, he's probably having—he's probably proven all of it, I guess. I kind of halfway feel like he's actually written the info pages. I, I yeah. think somebody needs to ask him that in the interview. So While we're in the X-Verse, you want to talk about X-Force by Benjamin Percy and Joshua Casera as the artist? Uh, X-Force is pretty good. It deals with, like,
1: the plot is, like, a task force lands on the island. Yeah. So they've got to sort of deal with
0: outsiders and stuff, supposed to do wet works or clean up stuff. Again, like we warn everybody at the beginning of each episode, they're going to be spoilers throughout. Uh, My question to you is that task force that jumps to the island and they register them as Domino. What the hell do you think they did to Domino with those white stripes on themselves and everything?
1: I don't know. They probably ran tests on her and tried to steal her mutant ability.
0: They've done that stuff before in X-Men comics. It seems, it kind of leaving it open to the imagination like that, because you know Domino's been caught. And then the next thing you see is these bad guys that are parasailing down to the island are, by and large, they're basically using her ability, and they've got these white stripes over their bodies, white-looking tattoos. It's really weird. I was prepared not to like X-Force, and X-Force is going to be the wet works. Of the X-Men books. It was a pretty good issue. Yeah, it really was. Benjamin Percy brought it home. Initially, when I started it and Domino had to say something about her luck, powers, and the first two lines, I thought, ah, crap. But then the rest of it, I mean, the whole thing delivered. It really did. That line from Wolverine, when you're safe, you're soft, that's yeah. Wolverine. That sounds like the old Wolverine. The whole issue was nice, dark, gritty, and this first issue justifies having a Wetworks X-Force team for the X-Men. It's a very good start, I thought. What you, what rankings did you give it?
1: I gave the writing a 4, the art a 4, and dynamic probably like a 3. You gave
0: it a 3.5. I gave it a 4 across the board. Yeah, well worth your money. Both of the X books hit this week. I yeah. I was kind of nervous after Excalibur last week, and I thought, ah, oh, here we go. Yeah, both X Force and New Mutants. Highly recommend. Well, let's move on to something a little surreal here. Let's go back to the DC universe for Green Lantern, Black Stars number one. Yep, Albert, yep. would you <laughs> would you care to explain to me what
1: the hell is going on? So, at the end of Green Lantern, the bad—let's we'll just say the bad guys made a miracle machine and made a wish on it. And I guess and like their wish was that Green Lanterns didn't exist. So in this new reality it's just black stars. So that's why you have all the lanterns showing up as black stars because because there are no lanterns. They don't
0: exist. Be sure you read the Green Lantern season one or whatever they're calling it with grant morrison because if you just come into this book you're going to be what in the hell is yeah, and this going will, on? and
1: this will only be around for like three issues
0: yeah and, this is, and ju- this is
1: just sort of filler stuff before they get to season two
0: and because of the wish thing you have the perfect excuse to not have to tie it into what's going on in justice league and doomsday and the rest of the multiverse yeah Because however this is going to be undone, it'll be a reset to 0.0 where it happened. More than likely. More than likely. I'm on board it because I trust Morrison. It took me a little bit to fully grasp what was going on, basically because I had to go back and reread the last two issues of Green Lantern to recall what had happened there. I gave the writing a three, the art a four, and the dynamic a three. My score was 3.5. I gave it all fives. All fives across the board. It's surrealistic so Morrison stuff, and like I said, I'm on board because of Morrison, and I'm sure my score will go up from there. It's just that at the moment, I I was really like, this is weird. I mean, there is weird, and there is weird, and then there is this overly, uh, and he he does not pull back. On the weirdness or the surreality. No, and, and in and issue
1: two, in issue two, he goes down to the Earth and it's going to talk super. And at least Superman's in it because they've already shown previews for it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Superman, let's talk
0: about Lois Lane number five. Let's talk about Lois Lane number five. <laughs> How's our favorite reporter doing? <laughs> the only thing I remember from
1: this issue is she just talks about journalism in general. Well, oh, my and, notes and, on and there's the 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 Renee Montoya stuff the question stuff.
0: Well, my notes on it was thrill has Lois emotionally blackmails people into getting information to further her journalism career. (sighs) Chill has Lois gives a vicious glare to someone who dares to imply that journalists do not all do their due diligence and wonder at how the question could possibly fight in that outfit, especially that skirt (laughs) lose all interest as Perry tries to tie his tie. (laughs) Yeah, it really been, wasn't much of an issue. I've been back and forth on this book. At first, I didn't like it. Then I was on board. I was like, "Yeah, let's go." And now I'm uh, I'm at twos across the board on it. Yeah, um, that's pretty I, much my score.
1: And uh, and I've said this bef- like stuff like this before, but like a lot of times on Rucka books, it's just when I read them, it's like this would be ten times better if it was the
0: same book just written by Brew Baker. And this is what that issue did. I think you've got a point on that. This just, I mean, it it just really, really, and what also insulted me was, tell me that you're not trying to tell us that every journalist out there is of the utmost highest regard in that scene, because turn on the freaking internet and just do a couple of quick searches there. For discredited journalists. Yeah, I I I kind of almost felt insulted by this, but right now I'm off the book, but it's keeping me reading because I've been back and forth on it. So I'll come back to it as well. Let's talk about a couple of what we consider independent, in other words, not from DC or Marvel, the other the other stuff that came out this week. Crone number one from Dark Horse. Did you take a look at that? I read it. It's it's okay. I didn't really care for it too much. Well, I was kind of sorry that I said, "Oh, read this" when I sent it to you. I, blah blah blah, three kingdoms. Blah blah blah, barbarians. Blah blah blah, sword wielding red headed woman in a bikini. Blah blah blah, guy in a skull like helmet.
1: Yeah, I mean I it, it a- was I, I couldn't say it's bad. It's just I've probably read this book a thousand times already.
0: Yeah, it's like old woman red Sonya. Yeah. For those of you that like the old man Logan, old man Hawkeye, old lady Harley, this is old lady Red Sonja. It, it certainly seems like it. I gave it twos across the board. Why'd you give it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I gave the writing
0: one, the rest of it twos. Let's talk about, are you ready to talk about Undiscovered Country? That has got to be the, I understand that it's already sold out and going to a second print from Image. Yeah, yeah, i read it. I thought it was great. One of their biggest selling books since Walking Dead, yeah. Scott Snyder, Charles Soule, writing Kamankali and Orlandini on art. This was not what I expected. Was it anything like what you expected?
1: No, but I, but in the previews I read, it, I didn't know what to get out of it anyway. Outside of the America's walled off. And it's walled off. I didn't really know what, what to expect out of it. But it was really, really good. And, I, and whatever I thought it was going to be, it wasn't that.
0: From the blurbs and all that, it made you kind of feel like, oh, here we go. Uh, political commentary again. Of some type. And that's not at all what it is. It's its own post-apocalyptic. Yes, it's a post-apocalyptic book. Yes, it's grim, but it's grim and post-apocalyptic in a fun my little pony kind of way. (laughs) I I thought it was highly entertaining. Anxious for the second issue. I want to know what's happened. Once you get inside America and see what's going on, I want more of that. There's no one character that has drawn you into themselves, but it's the overall dynamic of the entire. Yeah, re- very well written. Good story. Very good art. A lot of fun to read. Really did. Like I said, I know it sounds ridiculous. And yeah, it's a post-apocalyptic book, but in it's a fun post-apocalyptic book. It's not at all what your, whatever your expectations of this book is, this ain't it. Yeah. There is nobody that would have predicted what's going on once they get inside the walls of America. I gave the writing a four, the art a four, and the dynamic a five. My score was 4.5. Definitely recommending pick it up if you can find it. I gave it straight fives. Excellent. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I just, I'm scared to fall in love with it until we get, like, three issues in. Yeah. Because, you know, this could all turn to crap in the next issue. Now, along the same lines, I've got two books here that I've lined up that I wanted to talk about in sequence the first one is called BB Free number one from Boombox by Gabby Rivera has uh, the writer on it and Royal Dunlap has the artist did you check this out? yeah I read it I love the tone there tell me what you thought of it
1: I think that I deserve better <laughs> after giving you the best 12 years of my life you reckon you tell me to read this crowd <laughs>
0: Dude, I didn't write it. <laughs> no,
1: but you told me like, "Hey, read this."
0: <laughs> well, there's a very specific reason. I you also read nobody is in control one and two, right? Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that one in a second. I wanted to do both of these in this order. Boombox is supposed to be targeted at kids, isn't it? Or or young
1: readers. Let's it's say Boom Studios,
0: readers. and yeah, and Boombox is targeting fifteen and under, typically. Yeah. It shouldn't be. Not this story. In place of any sort of a morality, it pushes it it clearly pushes a political agenda. Now, if you're okay with the political agenda, fine. I don't think you need to go to be entertained, and especially kids don't need to have a political agenda ham-fistedly pushed on them like this. The agenda here is, you know, capitalism is so evil that earth and nature itself sent a cataclysm that ate the greedy. That's a direct quote from the book. And 50 years later, this cute little teenager's only hope is to rebel against her parents and the lies that they've taught her. It seems like the writer just finished their first collegiate sociology class. Do you know who this writer is? Who? She wrote that America book for Marvel. Oh, she did, didn't she? I thought that's why you recommended it to me. No, I recommended it to you because it was a number one issue. I recommended it to you before I read it. I just just called it up on Comixology. I just called it up and looked at it and thought, okay, here's a number one, and went from there. I didn't realize that was the... Yeah, she sure is. I knew I recognized the name, but I I didn't do any research into it because I was... Look, my point of view is this. This makes some powerful statements to be targeted at 15 and under. And basically... I think this is a powerful opportunity to go with these powerful statements that are in this book that if, boom, who distributes it, and all of the writers, artists, editorial, everybody that's involved in this book refuse to accept any money for it whatsoever. Send out the standing orders of the next issues to all comic shops free of charge. Do not use it for financial gain in any way. And uh, Boom Studios do not use it as a tax write off at all. Prove what you're proffering in this comic book. You have the perfect opportunity to do so here. Show us how it works. I'm not being sarcastic. Do it. Show us how this works. Aside from that, I thought the art was solid from Royal Dunlap. I understand, I think he's relatively new to comic books. I despise the use of only three or four col- I, colors throughout the yeah, book. Yeah,
1: I like. I did like the pencil work and thought yeah. it was well done. Uh, I think this book would look a lot better if it was just black and white.
0: Ooh, even better! Yeah, the shading. The uh, like if it was Dead, like a black
1: and white and had like a a manga feel to it, like it would, it would, it would look about a hundred times better.
0: And you could save money. I I think you're exactly right on that. That would have been a consideration. I would have given. Hey, if they had done just black and white. I would have given the art a four. I gave the writing a one, the artist a three, and the dynamic a one. The overall score on this book, I gave a 1.5. I am completely willing to reconsider this if they illustrate to us the evils of capitalism by handing out this book for free. Again, this is putting me in a position of something that I don't necessarily want to, not necessarily defending, but discussing or talking about. But if you've got a better system, show us how it works. Show yeah, sh- please. People, people need to
1: understand that when you read in media or anything, uh, anarchist that none of those people are anarchist at all. Most of them are pretty
0: well off people. Now, do we know this about Gabby Rivera? I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, she wrote America, I I don't necessarily know that that means her net worth is up there. No, no, but
1: I'm, I'm just saying like in general, just the way anarchy works in America, anarchy doesn't, America is set up in such a way it just rejects anarchy in general. These people that say they're anarchists are not anarchists. A lot of them may preach it, and they preach it with the intention of making money and getting further ahead in life with that money. If an anarchist owns a coffee shop, they're not an anarchist.
0: No, they're a capitalist. It don't
1: matter matter how many anarchist books they sell, because I've seen it. I've seen people talk about it. I've looked up and read a bunch of stuff about anarchy, and all the they would talk about all these writers and stuff, and all these writers were just capitalists that just talked about anarchy. If you're a real anarchist in America you get so far removed from society that you just end up being Ted Kaczynski because that's what he
0: was. That's, a, that's an excellent example of an anarchist. He was also somebody that was well off but forsook it and uh, went to live by himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't think, and again, I'm not implying that anybody involved in this book is an anarchist, but they're heavy on preaching to us about evil and yeah, you know, the earth ate the greedy. Being capitalism, can you believe that capitalism actually existed? And yeah, I I can believe it because you're benefiting from it. I mean, this writer wrote for Marvel, which is owned by Disney. Well, yeah, I've heard people in the literal retail business say that they're not a capitalist. Yeah, yeah, if you're retailing and you have a business that depends on people coming in and spending money with you and customer service, and your customer service is what's bringing the business in, then welcome to capitalism, my friend. That's how it works. I'm not saying it's the best thing that could ever be. I sincerely hope that we can evolve into something different in the future, but I don't think communism is necessarily the answer, not that this book is preaching that. It's a prime opportunity for Boom to illustrate to us how this can be done, how a comic book could be manufactured without any profit being made on it, that the writers, artists, editors, the uh, publishers are so vested in an idea and concept that the work they put into it is done for free because am i am i wrong about you know the opening of this book and what it says is that not the implication that's the implication so yeah overall i i don't think it was very good maybe if it wasn't so ham-fisted on getting the point across like i said love the pencils in it the coloration kind of detracted from it. But the uh, art was very promising in it, but I still give it an overall score of 1.5. Now, in comparison to that, Nobody is in Control, number one and two, by Patrick Kindlin and Paul Tucker as the artist. What did you think of Nobody is in Control? Issue one and two read very, very good together. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: separately, it's a little long-winded. Yeah. But it's written very
0: well. I, I really
1: liked it. I thought it was a very well put together book.
0: Well, I my first line was clearly no one is in control because the first issue shipped in May and the second issue yeah. just hit the shelves this week. But having said that, look, maybe they reprinted it. Maybe you can find a copy of it. I didn't even know this book existed until issue number two came out today. You want socio-political commentary done correctly in the format that it's presented in? This is the book. This book is smart, it's smartly worded, it's engaging, it has a point, it gets to it, and it illustrates the point. There's a well-formed relationship in this book between the words and the visuals. Did you notice that? Yeah. I mean, uh, above and beyond. You know, normally, you don't want to see this kind of artwork on Superman or Batman, but uh, the artwork was outstanding for it. And the little factoids that would pop up and be incorporated as a piece of the page. This is an outstanding piece of paranoia and societal critique and it's entertaining all the while. This is what books like BB Free strive for. This is that type of book. Now do you see why I wanted to compare and contrast them together? Yeah. There's a very strong political message. One just bluntly out and out states it, the other one illustrates it and draws you into a story. Note this book takes place in Jasper? N- Jasper, Georgia. Oh, I
1: thought it was Jasper, Alabama. I thought yep. they are gonna show Wesley the
0: booby trap or something. Oh god, no. Oh god, that'd be funny. <laughs> no, uh no, it takes place in Jasper, Georgia.
1: Uh, okay. which is
0: yeah, and I mean he's got everything right, saying how far it is from Atlanta and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's
1: right. They they mentioned Georgia and all that. Yes, yeah,
0: right. Yeah, and also gives Georgia's percentage of forestry is um sixty percent of uh, of georgia is forest well i had to stop right there and i had to go and look up what percentage of forestry is alabama alabama you will be happy to know that you come in nationwide at number seven in the amount of your state that is forests (laughs) ahead of georgia and most everybody else at a whopping something like 72 percent of this state is forest now, think about what that. What beats
1: us, like Tennessee or like West Virginia or something?
0: Let's see, uh, Actually, do you know who number one was? California? Ma- no, God no. California was way down the list, number 41, I think. Oh, that's right. That's mostly desert over there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you got to take in percentage-wise how big California is. Yeah. Maine. Maine beats us. Maine is number one. Washington State, number two? Uh, Washington State, no. I don't think Washington State was number two. Beneath us was Tennessee and Mississippi, I know Mississippi was number ten, yeah, and uh, I think Georgia and Tennessee and Mississippi went in that order beneath us, but yeah, so and look, we're focusing on the forestry, the percentage of forestry in each state. This book is engaging on a number of levels, not just that, and there is a clear sociopolitical message in it is just as intense as the one we were talking about in BB free, but the difference is. The book, Nobody Is In Control, gets it across effectively and in an entertaining manner, as does Immortal Hulk, and we'll get to that. We're going to save Immortal Hulk for the end of the broadcast, right? That works for me. Yeah. At the end of the broadcast, we'll be talking about Immortal Hulk. But I highly recommend going back and trying to find a Nobody Is In Control, number one. And number two, I gave this book a 4.5. I gave
1: the writing a four. I gave the art a three and the dynamic a five. Like the art, the the pencil work sketchy, but the but the layout of the comic itself, yeah. As he's talking about stuff,
0: they sort of acted out in the book. I thought that was really, really, really well done. I did too. I did too. I I want more of this book. I hope he's able to deliver a monthly at this point, having taken a break between May and now to get the second one out. Go back and look up. Nobody is in control. This is socio political commentary in a comic book done correctly. I wasn't even looking for that, but this was a fine example of how to do it. But I gave the writing a five, the art a four, the dynamic a five. My score was 4.5. Your score was a four overall. We both recommend this. This is well worth uh, looking into, and I'm glad I just kind of stumbled across it there. Let's go on back to a few more contemporary items. Yondu, number one by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler with John McRae on art. Well, what'd you think of old Yondu from the Guardians of the Galaxy? It was a poor man's Lobo. Ooh, that's interesting that you said that because I, I wrote down here, feels like Death Head and Lobo books. Yeah, like it, it's I'd rather just read Lobo if I'm going to read this. That's a good point. I can see that. I can I can definitely understand and appreciate that. I give him credit because you can hear Michael Rooker, the actor who plays Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy, you can hear his voice when you read it. Yeah. It, it all sounds like things he would say. It's down in dirty art. It's suitable to the content of the storyline. And it's trying to reconcile Yandu, as we know him from the movies, as most people know him, popularly, with the Yandu that originally appeared, the more noble, native... The space elf, pretty much. Y- yeah, that's it. With his bow and arrow, the blue space, noble space elf that we know from the original Guardians of the Galaxy that was set in the 31st century. Yeah, I'm with you. I can see where you would prefer Lobo over this. Uh, I would prefer Kevin McGuire's Lobo over this as well. Yeah. I did give it three across the board. Writing, art, and dynamic, I just gave it a three across the board. I gave it twos across the board. Well, you saying that, when you said if I'm going to read a Lobo book, I would prefer a Lobo book, I was sitting here and I was thinking, yeah, he's got a point there. I would drop the overall score to a 2.5 given that state. You know, I just kind of thought, hey, this wants to have the feel of Lobo in Death's Head to it and it should really they should really strive for something more unique than that yeah it's it's readable it's somewhat engaging if you like michael rooker's character of yondu yeah it's a definite pick it up if you're not really that much on his character of yondu leave it be move on all right albert i've got some good news you want to hear some good news okay yeah i want to hear some good news Well, the good news is that Batman number 82, I do not think, is this week's worst book. (laughs) What is? Not counting BB-free, what is the worst book? Oh, we'll we'll get to it. (laughs) We'll get to it shortly, but you were right, man. You called it how many weeks ago? Catwoman's going to beat up (laughs) Bane. I told y'all about that crap. Well, for all of those that have written in anonymously to us, and by anonymous I mean saying, do not say my name on the air, do not put this on the air, saying some version of, if Catwoman does beat Bane, I'm quitting comics forever, or I'm quitting Batman forever. Well, here's your jump-off point.
1: <laughs> so there's a part in this book where she says, this is my city. You know, this ain't not- Bane's city, this ain't Batman. it's the cat city, or something like that. What that is, that's Tom King. Telling all of us that this is Catwoman's book. That's what he's
0: doing. I saw that. It don't make This book don't make sense. Like I said, you predicted it weeks ago and several weeks since on the podcast. That's right, DC Albert Albert Marsh from Walker County, Alabama. I'm living Walker. I've never lived in Walker County, but it sounds good. No, it doesn't. You hear that, DC? This surprised no one. <laughs> At all. What did you take away? Did you was there any redeeming factor in this book to you? No. Why would there be? I don't know. That just I actually burst out laughing when Catwoman attacked Bane. I stopped reading it because I had to sit there and laugh because Catwoman just kicked Bane's ass. By God, let Galactus invade the DC comics universe. Catwoman will handle it. <laughs> Hey, Albert, who's worse at this point, Ray or Catwoman? <laughs> Catwoman for now. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this. Did you read the annual that I was talking about last week? No, I never got around to it. I, that's heartbreaking, man, because King wrote that, and I love that annual. I really did. I went back, and I read that annual again, and I thought, yes, yes, this is solid. Are there two Tom Kings? No, there's but, just one that has
1: obviously issues with. I don't know. Maybe he's got relationship problems or something.
0: He's a fetishist for cat suits with the armpits exposed. Yeah, I just I gave it a score of two across the. Board. I gave him one across the board. I thought
1: the art was okay. I, the problem you know, with that art is that it's in this book, so I gave it one. And it was depicting a story that. You ever think when someone's drawing a comic, like an artist is drawing a comic and they're reading the script they're got, and they're just like, man, this book's a bunch of bullshit."
0: Language edited
1: for your protection. Yeah. (laughs) You think think someone, anyone ever does that?
0: Like, you know. I know that I've heard rumors that Byrne would go in and throw pages in people's face and say, I'm not drawing this. (laughs) Don't you know who I am? I'm John Byrne. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I just, I could not believe it. I was, you know, you kept saying it. Catwoman's gonna beat Bane. Every time you said it she's gotta, gotta beat, it. she's gotta beat Papa Wayne next. Yeah, every time. No, that's true. That's true. And every time you said that, I kept thinking, yeah, yeah, that's funny, but he'll do something different. No, he didn't do anything different. Catwoman kicked Bane's butt. So I gave it, like I said, I gave it a score of two because the art was okay. I don't know how the Tom King that wrote the Batman annual is the Tom King that's writing this. I just don't. Let's jump from that to Justice League, number 35. Snyder is writing it. I thought it was a chore. I thought Justice League was a chore to read. I like this one better than the previous issues. I kept thinking it was going to be better. But it was just 75% of the book seemed to be conversation trying to remind you of what's happened in the last 10 yeah. issues. I don't think Apex Lex is a threat. I really don't. And I don't get a real sense of disaster or doom in the book, even though the anti-monitor's mommy destroys a universe. I hearken back to reading The First Crisis. I had a friend named Tommy Knox when I lived in Conyers, Georgia. We would go to the bookworm and we would pick up our comic books. And we would go to his house and hang out and read them. And I was predominantly, I was a Marvel zombie. The way I'm using that term is that I predominantly read Marvel comics. I would occasionally pick up independent books, but I didn't care anything for DC. But at the same time, the crisis on infinite universes was going on. And Tommy had all of them. And I sat and read each of these. And then I'd go back to them and I'd read them again. And I really, really got engrossed. And there was this feeling of dread and concern over what were happening to these heroes that, as a comic book reader... I didn't really care about because they weren't Marvel. They were DC. It really, really drew me in. I'm not getting any of that from this. This is not even remotely reminiscent of it, and I feel that it's supposed to be. Am I right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a crisis book. They just don't call it a crisis.
0: I'm more emotionally invested in the last two tales of the Dark Multiverse comics than I am in what's supposed to be in this mainstream continuity with Justice League. Yeah. I, I feel that this should have been wrapped up six issues ago. And I don't care that Apex Lex is going to fight the Batman who laughs. I was over that idea the moment I read the Newsarama headline. And to think that we're going to have to go through most of 2020 with that, that just kind of brings me down. I gave the writing a two, the art a three, the dynamic a ones, overall score a two. What, what was your grade on it?
1: I gave the, uh, the art a four, the writing a three, and
0: the dynamic a three. I think I'm being too hard on the artist as well, because like you said, he's just being handed pages and told to draw them. What is your concern? That Does it seem odd to you that all of the superheroes are held up in the hall of justice? I mean, they're not being kept in there by a force shield or anything. They're just all there hanging I, out. They don't know what to do. I don't buy that either. You know what they need to do. They just need to reach in some portal and pull out
1: Superboy Prime and just point them. <laughs> Go get them.
0: <laughs> See that big woman over there? We're calling Proxima what the hell ever. <laughs> Treat her like you treated that invisible wall. If we're
1: getting Superboy Prime back some way or another. He's coming back.
0: You honest to God think we're getting Superboy Prime back? Oh hell yeah! Why would he, you not? He was such a ludicrous character that exactly. he worked. He worked perfectly. I still prefer Thomas Boyd's answer to how Jason Todd was back from the dead. And, you know, they wrote that off to being Superboy Prime was hitting the invisible wall and one of the disconnects was it brought Jason Todd to life again. Thomas Boyd had told us in the story that it should have been when the Joker was h- holding the whirligog in the Grant Morrison Justice League of America story, that when Lex told him to bring back the people we killed, that, you know, Joker brought back Jason Todd as well. I think they missed a prime opportunity by just going a prime opportunity. Uh, by going with Superboy Prime. That was was almost wordplay. Not clever wordplay, but still. I'm at least comforted that they've got an overall plan to where all the multiverse stuff is going. Yeah. But Snyder was far better on Undiscovered Country than he was on Justice League This Week to me. Which book did you prefer him on? Oh, Undiscovered Country. Okay. I don't even know why we're going to talk about it, but let's talk about King Shazam. Senna Grace, writer, Joe Bennett, art. Garbage. Useless. Pointless. Yeah, I hate being so down on it. I'm tired of being down on it, but damn them for making me be down on it. Doesn't make any sense. If you wanted to show, and again, spoiler alert, if you wanted to show Shazam infecting Mary Marvel, you could have done that in a three-page backup in Justice League. This is not a $3.99 book, and I couldn't help but think that Jim Shooter wrote better stories at age 14. Because it did. Yeah, he did. It's a true story. Jim Shooter actually wrote better published comic book stories, Legion of Superheroes, th- at age 14 than we're getting out of things like King Shazam with the Batman Who Laughs and Year of the Villain. I'm not finding any specific sales information on the Year of the Villain stuff. Do you think it's selling well? Have you seen anything on that? You, I don't think that tag's affecting the sales at all, no. Well, this one shot was specifically put up as the Batman Who Laughs, You're the Villain tagline, the, the whole reason for this book. I'm curious as to who's buying it and why. It's kind, of in, it's kind of insulting. I don't think that Jeff Johns is consulted on this. I don't think they're no, asking, can no, we do no, this to Shazam? No,
1: this is all Snyder stuff.
0: It's very predictable once you know that Shazam's been infected by the Batman Who Laughs virus. Do they not have a Punisher Deathstroke? do they not have a punisher in the DC universe that could get a headshot on the Batman who laughs? I guess not. I mean, they, they really need to at this point, I'm willing for Superman and Batman to compromise their morals and hire a killer to put this guy out of our misery. So your, your review on the Shazam books, I gave it a, I I gave it a 1.5 across the board. The art was nice, but the finishing was weird on it. Yeah. I just gave it one. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, this disturbs me. I don't like, I'm not enjoying this many negative reviews on mainstream comic books. Now, having said that, did you read Dr. Doom number two? It's on my to-read list, I didn't get to it tonight. That hurts. I didn't even think about it, but... That uh, bad, huh? Dr. Doom number two, written by Christopher Cantwell, Salvador Roca artist, and I specifically want to point out Guru F-E-F-X, FX finishes on LaRocca's artwork because LaRocca deserves better than guru effects EFX. All right. I'm prepping myself cause I hate, I hate doing this, but I'm going because this is infuriated me. Cantwell should never be loud near another keyboard again. He did about 10 minutes worth of research on Dr. Doom enough to find out that Doom has a relationship with Morgan Le Fay. And that's it. Doom is completely out of character, and over. And this is overwhelmingly damaging. Decades of continuity for Marvel Comics. This book should immediately be retconned. His alternate reality are just pure BS. Also, adding the painting of Saturn devouring his son in Morgan's apartment does not make you a great writer. It makes you a pretentious hack. Get the hell away from Doom now. And really, a damn Beatles reference for Dr. Doom? Grow up. Stop writing your own interests into a character that will still be around when you are literal dust. I gave the writing on Dr. Doom number two a negative three. I gave the art a three. <laughs> I didn't know we could give negatives here. <laughs> well, we couldn't before this book. Okay. I gave- I gave the art a three. La Roca is strong, but the EFX finishes, runs his artwork. And I give the dynamic a negative three. So the overall score for Doctor Doom number two is negative three. Doctor Doom uh, a Trekkie. I I am enraged at this book. Did you know that? And did they do that in the first episode, the first issue that he was a trekkie? There was nah, a Star that was,
1: Oh, I years, saw that. Yes. Yeah, I years that.
0: back Marvel did
1: a like a kid's book goofy Mm -hmm. version of of secret wars yeah and in that
0: you learn that dr doom black star trek so i just absolutely totally and completely this book is uh we oh look we've got a funny robot that's running around and no this is marvel they should look into the chain of command that okayed this book and then fire them each in turn as much as I appreciate what Sobolski uh, has done as editor-in-chief as Marvel, uh, they need to talk to him about this. This is no way to treat that character. I, I never realized how strongly I felt about Doom. I always knew I liked him. I always knew he was my favorite. But until issue number two of Christopher Cantwell writing this so-called Doctor Doom book, I never realized how Deeply affected, I was by somebody doing this inside of what is supposed to be continuity. This guy, the the picture of Saturn eating his children over uh, Lefay's couch. That is, oh look, I'm 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 educated. I'm going to throw this in <laughs> as a testament to Morgan Lefay's character and what's going on in the overall dynamic. Because Saturn ate his children for fear that he they were going to rise up and take his power over. Stop it. Nobody gives a damn. If you can't get across Morgan Lefay's character by writing Morgan Le Fay, or if you can't get across your point with Dr. Doom by writing Dr. Doom, you don't need to be in the business. And that's how I feel about that. So score is a negative three on Dr. Doom. All right. I think you should take issue number one back to wherever you got it from and demand your money back. And number two, if you you had the misfortune to buy it. Absolutely outraged at this book. Uh, Batman was a pleasure to read. In comparison to Doctor Doom number two, Tom King, that does not mean continue writing <laughs> Batman. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you can write Batman like you did in last week's annual, that that'd be great. <laughs> All right, our finale for the night. My God, I just Immortal Hulk number twenty six. Al Ewing, writer Joe Bennett, and Rui Jose on art. I was nervous because I didn't know where he was going to take it from here. But what? What did you think, Albert? I thought it was great. This is a fantastic book. If you read comics and haven't read Immortal Hulk, then you're not a reader of comics. This was outfracking standing. You want to get like I said earlier with uh, the other books. You want to get people interested in your socio political stance through entertainment. This is how you do it. Al Ewing brings it home. It's engaging. It's thrilling. I cannot recommend this book enough. As good as his opening story was with Immortal Hulk through issue number 25, this first issue of the new story arc promises to be even better. Yeah, they they, they really do it.
1: Yeah, this is pretty, I guess, pretty much set up for maybe for the next 25 issues, and it was so well done.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I am excited. His interpretation of the characters and every spoiler alert. The, the chef, how did you like, and don't say it, don't give it away, but how did you like the reveal of who the cook and the diner was? That was great. And oh my God, you know in your bones, given that dynamic, that dialogue that they had back and forth, you know this is going to be a major player in yep. the next story arc, as well he should be. I am thrilled to death with this book. I cannot say enough good things about it. Albert, straight fives across the board for me. Same with me. Easily the best book Marvel puts out. It's not even close. And look, I don't know what Rui Jose does in, in tandem with Joe Bennett, but the artwork is even better, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, the artwork really kicked it up a notch in here. And most of this just character dynamic, just talking, and just back and forth, the discussion between different characters. And this has been the most engaging thing This issue has been one of the most engaging things on the list since it's, in its own way, it's equal to Hickman's X-Men revamp, don't you think? If not a little surpassing. And I also love the nod that he gives that the mutants are promising. The situation on Krakoa is promising in line with the Hulk's sociopolitical agenda now. And I know I say the phrase sociopolitical a lot. That's because it manifests everywhere now. But this is the way you do it right here, Immortal Hulk number 26. If you haven't been reading it before and don't necessarily want the backstory, start with this one. Because they're promising you what I really and truly believe will be one of the... I don't want to go so far as to say Watchmen or Dark Knight, but dang, he's approaching that level. And I also like that this issue,
1: what it set up is stuff that's not at all been brought up before like you know we got a hard stop on the shadow based stuff and now we've got this new hard stop hard start on what happens when we privatize
0: going after hulk that and the ramifications thereof it's it's a it's full of promises yeah it's full of promises and you don't know what the next curve is you really don't because you don't know who's running that diner until the very end and it never even occurred to me to think that way It's clear as a bell. Ewing knows what he's doing. I don't know how he didn't win the last Eisner, but by God, he needs to win the next Eisner. So Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, and uh, Rui Jose on Immortal Hulk number 26. If I were to ask, you know, they can only buy one comic. Which comic should it be? What would you say, Albert? Immortal Hulk. Yeah, me too. Immortal Hulk number 26. Take your Doctor Doom number one and possibly number two back and see if you can trade it in for an Immortal Hulk number 26.
1: I mean, if I was running the comic book store, I, it, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let nobody do that. <laughs> so,
0: like, you no see, you, keep, you didn't keep that crap. You done read it. <laughs> you done read it. It's been read once. <laughs> I'm going to tell you at this point, if people started to bring in the, if, you know, if we were still there and I was behind the counter and they brought their Dr. Doom's number ones back. Yeah. Yeah. I'd go ahead and give them credit. Pick out another comic. I apologize. I apologize that Doctor Doom number one ever crossed this <laughs> I like Doctor Doom number one. Well, Doctor Doom number one was open. I had my problems with it, but uh, number two just seals it. And that, uh, like I said, I cannot believe the pretension of putting that painting on the wall. I bet there's a good number of people that also understand exactly why I have a problem with it. That's that's lazy, right? That's hackneyed. Out of all the talent you've got out there and you put this person on Dr. Doom? No, 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 no. No, this is unacceptable Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) You just enjoyed hearing me say that, didn't you? Things you never thought you'd hear Stan say.
1: (laughs) Unacceptable Marvel. (laughs) This is
0: unacceptable Marvel. (laughs) This is Jim Shooter New Universe levels of unacceptable Actually, I enjoyed a lot of the new universe. Did you ever read any of that? Yeah. Did you read it as it came out? No, no, I was or, way too young for that mess to even remember it. Tommy Knox in Conyers, Georgia. And God, I don't even know whatever's happened to him, but he was, the, he was one of the kindest, nicest people on the face of the earth. But he and I were watching Sledgehammer on ABC and they that was the first comic book advertised during prime time was the new universe. And we got all the issue number ones between us. I enjoyed uh, Justice. I enjoyed Starbrand to a degree, but I really felt differently about Starbrand once they fired Jim Shooter and John Byrne came back and took over the writing chores on Starbrand and illustrated in an entire issue how Starbrand, the character of Starbrand in this, was nothing more than Jim Shooter's alter ego. From John Byrne doing that, as mean-spirited as that was, but from him illustrating that Jim Shooter was actually writing his idealized self as a superhero in the book Starbrand from the 80s, I realized what Ron Mars was doing and could easily recognize it when Ron Mars did the same thing with Kyle Rayner on Green Lantern. (laughs) We'll what I remember back.
1: about I what I remember about New Universe was that crappy book Kicker Inc.
0: Oh God, that, no, that was awful.
1: That had a bunch of racist jokes in it. Now, I don't remember the racist show. I think I only swear, got issue number I think, one. I think that was the one that had it. I think K- Kickers, Inc. was the ink was the dumbest one because it was like football players or something. And they were going to be superheroes. But I think there's a bunch of racist stuff
0: in that book. There could very well be because I only got Kickers, Inc. number one. And it was really, you're correct in saying that it's the stupidest of the lot out there. Uh, the books that I read and continue to read was Justice, Starbrand, Spitfire, and the Troubleshooters. But I I fell off that. Nightmask was okay. DP7 was okay. The other books, the only ones i read through to the end were Starbrand and Justice. And that was really, they, they really took a surreal horror comic turn when they decided they were going to end the new universe. Yeah. That was spearheaded by John Byrne. John Byrne's a jackass, but he did point out whether he intended to or not, like I said, he did show the earmarks of what poor story plot was and why you never try to write yourself as the main character of a comic. Like a cameo of yourself, oh, he'll do that. But not, he didn't think of himself as Reed Richards when he was writing the Fantastic Four. Reed had to be better than him.
1: Yeah, that's what that BB Free comic was. It's, it's a I think not call it self-insert.
0: I, I don't know her well enough. to yeah, do that yeah, it just, seems like a self-insert thing for that book. I just took that, you know, right off the bat. Look, if you got a better way, I'm not standing in the way here, and I'm not being sarcastic, and I'm not being funny. Please show us. Illustrate to us how you can work product and manufacture product without capital, capitalism. And I, I am all on board. I want to know how Star Trek economics work. We, ha- we have had panel after panel on Star Trek economics at different conventions. Nobody has effectively explained how this works other than the people that join Starfleet or the people that do whatever they do. They do it for the love of doing it because all their needs have been met. When you take a poll of the people in the room and you say, if all of your needs are met, what would you do with your life? It's Oh, I'd watch movies. I'd go skiing. I'd sit at home and read. <laughs> it's not. I would research and try to find a cure for cancer. It's difficult to say something like that, but I want a better system, and I want to know how you plan on implementing it, and you have the perfect opportunity here by showing us how to develop a product and put a product out there without taking any money or financial gain whatsoever. What are we talking about? I was talking about BB-free. You not me back to BB free. Yeah, but also, I was
1: talking do- about self inserting yourself in your in your own comic, oh. not not space
0: socialism. I've also been sitting here drinking a screwdriver at the same time, so there's well, no telling. I was I, gonna some, wait till this was over before I drunk any wine. So and <laughs> so I know I gave a comic a negative three and then I ranted <laughs> about a Hallmark ornament of Negan. And that's really all I can remember at this point. <laughs> that and Ileana Rasputin is hot. <laughs>
1: Well, she's not ugly.
0: <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, different people interpret her differently and all that. But she kicked uh, uh, that cyborg's butt, Krasowski or whatever his name is from the Starjammers. Ain't she like mm-hmm. 12 or something? Well, no, she's not 12 anymore. She's more like she's closing in on 19 or 20. I used to have a, a mental image of everybody's lineage based on Kitty Pride's age, but nobody wants to talk about how old Kitty Pride is now. I know Kitty Pride's got to be over 21, but under 26. It was much easier when I was a kid. Kitty Pride and I were the same age. We were both 14. Kitty
1: Pride would be, let's take a look here.
0: How old do you think uh,
1: Scott Summers is?
0: Scott Summers from New X Men Forward always struck me as in his 30s, but realistically, he was in his late 20s. Then you'd knock five off that, and they, you'd get Kitty. Kitty? Kitty was 14, 14, 14, and then uh, she got tossed into space and she suddenly became 15 because her and Peter almost have s- had sex when they thought she was uh, they were going to die because of the brood implants, the space alien implants. And then when she joined Excalibur, she was 15 and then she turned 16 and a benefactor gave her a car in Excalibur because she turned 16. And then like f- uh, just a handful of issues later... She slept with a British secret agent who was in Excalibur, and I can't recall his name right now, but he was at least in his 30s. And then suddenly Marvel inadvertently realized that they just had a minor sleep with a full grown adult with a significant age difference. And then they retconned that by an issue later having Kitty state that, oh, yeah, I'm 18 years old, 18 years old now in just the distance of like one year from her getting that car. <laughs> well, this has been fun. <laughs> Anything to add, Albert?
1: <laughs> no, because you'll start talking about I don't know. I don't know what you'll talk about, but it won't be whatever it is we started talking about.
0: Well I just can't wait until media mess <laughs> with Sandra <laughs> Okay, folks. Again, we thank you greatly. Our numbers are still doing great. Do recommend us to friends. We are getting very close to the second stage. Sandra Swindle will be joining us for the second episode of Media Mess that we're going to try to knock out on Friday night, and I'll try to have posted by Monday, or at least sometime Monday. We really can't thank you enough. We really can't. We've got a couple of cool Christmas plans coming up for the podcast. And again, Send us your messages, your criticisms, your thoughts, whatever. I don't necessarily, I can address them, as many of you know. We can address them without directly addressing you if you don't want to be mentioned or anything. Send us your emails, send us your thoughts, your messages to KingdomCasts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com, or Kingdom Comics at gmail.com, or message us on Facebook as Kingdom Cast. And that one does not have an S on it. So we we've gotta, we we've gotta correct that. But uh, we're on Facebook for Kingdom Cast and Kingdom Comics. Follow us on Facebook. We post a lot of funny memes and some news and info and stuff. Please let us know what you think. Ask us your questions. We live for this. We've got a lot of questions lined up for Media Mess coming up this weekend. Albert, anything you want to add? No, I'm good this week. All right. Well, you're good every week, man. I, I look forward to these little chats. <laughs> Me too. So, guys and gals, thank you so very much. Let us know what you think. Uh, Give us a holler, and we will talk to you next week. Albert, say goodnight. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right, sunshine.